welcome back to the Renaissance Space podcast. I had a wonderful opportunity recently to speak to Alison Tarrant, the Chief Executive of the School Library Association. And amongst other things, she has been a librarian. She was named a bookseller rising star in 2018. And she is very proud of her role at the School Library Association. And it was fascinating talking to her about it. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce a podcast. Welcome, Alison. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me today. Not at all. Absolute pleasure. Uh, we, we spoke about this about three months ago, four months ago. Yeah. Busy schedules. Busy schedules. Busy but, yeah, schedules. Really glad to be here. Fantastic. So um, we're really keen to hear more about the SLA, School Library Association, and to hear a little bit about what you do within that, if if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So I'm the chief exec of the School Library Association, and we are a charity who supports anyone involved with reading in schools, um, libraries, maximising their libraries, making sure they're getting the most out of them, and also information literacy and research skills. Um, So really that kind of whole thing of the resources and how they're used and building a real community reading culture. Um, Sounds amazing. Sounds a fantastic job. It is. I love it. I bet you do. I bet you do. Um, And I think sometimes with reading, it gets snarled up with a lot of, you know, assessment and children have to be able to decode and they have to be reading the right books. And, you know, some of that reading for pleasure gets lost in that, doesn't it? It really does. And I don't know how, because there's just so much research that shows how important reading for pleasure is, not only for, you know, academic attainment and vocab retention and all of that stuff, but long, long term research has shown that children who read for pleasure have better outcomes and and earn more, which is always the bit I used to talk to my year 12 and 13s about. Um, So you know, there's just so much research out there. And yet it doesn't seem to, to have the standing. Um, the other kind of literacy focused bits do. I think part of that is probably down to just the system we're working within. Yes. Where it's very hard to quantify pleasure. <laughs> and how do you actually teach? You know, you can't teach reading for pleasure. No. It has to be a shared experience that you entice people into and yeah. that doesn't always go hand in hand with uh SATs or GCSEs or offset or the rest of it so absolutely and I also think that um screens have um elbowed their way in haven't they and um in some ways they take precedence because they're easier um access is pretty easy these days in school and at home Whereas picking a book up or choosing a book that you're going to sit and engage with. I mean, I, I've got eight grandchildren and I love them sitting on my lap and reading a story to them. Yeah. But I don't think that happens all the time everywhere, does it? No, it definitely doesn't. And I think it's one of those things that, that again, kind of surprises me because we know the, the huge benefits that Reading Aloud has both kind of educationally within school and emotionally as the family. And yet, you know, I think due to maybe curriculum pressures, timing pressures, 
um, you know, the the time given over to reading aloud is is really pressured. And it's, you know, you really have to make an effort to carve it out. Um, and it's even less the case in secondary. And I'm so, so keen, you know, for for children to continue to be read to because there's so much research about the benefits of reading aloud for for fluency and for confidence and and the Egmont uh, Egmont now Farshaw did some really interesting research about the impact of of a class teachers reading to their classes and it showed that there were so many positive benefits both you know, academic, but also well-being for the teacher and the class. And it really built their relationship. Um, and the attainment went through the roof for some of those students as well. It really was quite incredible. And I think the year before, they did some research into the impact of reading in a family. And they chose families who weren't reading as a regular activity. And then they kind of encouraged them to do it and sent books home and the impact that that had on the relationship between the child and the parent, it really, for some of those families, it really turned their relationships around. And I think it's it's such a powerful thing because reading is, you know, something that is intensely personal in a lot of ways, but it can also form really um, tight, knit kind of bonding experiences for groups or multiple people. So, um yeah, it's really interesting to think about how it works both as an individual and as a, a group dynamic. Yes, and I think with curriculums being squeezed and expectations on on timing and timetables and, and different um, requirements, it tends to get pushed back as a something we do at the end of the day rather than something mm-hmm. that you could do at any time of the day. You know, picking up Michael Rosen's chocolate cake and reading it at 11 o'clock in the morning, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Um, just to get a bit of dynamic going and a bit of energy. Yeah, I mean, I know quite a few um, teachers, particularly at primary, who will do their kind of reading to the class off the back of the break because it helps settle and it creates a nice vibey atmosphere for the rest of the day. And I think it does it such a disservice to kind of go, it's something we do if there's time at the end of the day, because there, there are, you know, a multitude of educational benefits that come from it. So we really should be prioritizing that. If yeah. it's one of those things that I think, because it doesn't feel like work, people yes. are like, "Oh, this can't be work." You know, this can't. Do I even actually get paid to do this? <laughs> yes, and the definitely. kids are sat there thinking, "Is this actually school?" Because this is fun. Yeah, you know. But no, yes, it, it can be fun and valid at the same time. <laughs> So, so let's let's talk about libraries in schools. That that little old chestnut, um, hot potato, yeah. or whatever we want to um, attribute to it. You know, you can probably say most secondaries have a library and most primaries don't. I mean, that's that's a little bit general, but it tends to work that way. Would would you agree? Yeah, that seems to be what the research is showing us at the moment. Um, so the best glimpse that we've got into school library provision um, comes from the Great School Libraries report from 2019. And that showed that um, one in eight primary schools don't have a school library. Um, slightly, uh, slightly more secondaries do. 
but it's by no means um the case that every single secondary has a school library and when you start to look more into provision standards in terms of kind of staffing and stuff um, you see a real dip and I think the most interesting and and alarming thing to be honest that came out of that report was the finding that schools that have a higher percentage of children eligible for free school meals are less likely to have a school library space um yeah so and I think there's probably lots of reasons for that and you know we're not the campaign isn't about apportioning blame but it is about recognizing that that's a problem because there will be children who need the space the resources the printer the wi-fi in order to to have the same opportunities as their as their classmates um not to mention the support of an adult you know so Absolutely. And if that's not happening at home either, then there's no chance really for that child to understand. And and I know I used to have parents of of children I was teaching who would never go into a library because actually they'd feel a little intimidated by walking in there and perhaps feeling a bit silly as to not know which book to choose or which shelf to go to. Definitely. And I think it's something that we can quite easily overlook for those of us who, you know, went into librarianship or teaching or education, you know, as a natural reader, if you grew up reading and being around books, you can you can easily forget how overwhelming and intimidating it can be because it is like, you know, there's a secret language where everyone knows what the protocol is. You know, like when you go to a posh dinner, it's like, which knives or forks do you yes. use first? Yes. It's that kind of thing, you know? And I think, you know, we really need to be looking at our school libraries and thinking, how can we make this more accessible? And that is about how the space is used. It's about how it's designed. It's about making sure that it's not just rows and rows of books on end. Um, Because actually, you know, where do you start? How overwhelming is that? So completely, completely. I went to a school once and they'd used fishing line um, across the ceiling and they'd put the books over the fishing line so it looked like these these books were flying across the ceiling yeah. it was amazing it was such a simple idea but it was just yeah. wonderful it's so good it's much better way of doing it than I did which was for a for a world book day um as a school librarian I uh just went completely DIY and so I unfurled loads of paper clips clipped my it was a whole load of characters from books clipped them onto one end of the paper clip and then stuck the other half in the ceiling tile I got a little bit told off, but um, it had the impact I wanted, so it was worth it. It was a nice idea, Alison. Well done. Nice turn left unturned in the pursuit of reading. Absolutely. What can we say? So um, let's talk about the the elephant in in the library, um, digital versus paper. Um, Mm. Because obviously, if they're reading, they're reading. Let's, Let's not knock anything. But on the other hand... Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really interesting because quite often they are spoken about as being binary options and two things that are almost at loggerheads with each other. And I think that there's it's it's obviously much more complex and nuanced than that. So I think firstly, there's a really important role for digital resources to play in ensuring that every child has access to the resources in a way that's meaningful and accessible for them. 
And I think we can't talk about digital without talking about all the benefits of accessibility, where you can change the font and the background color and the size and all of that stuff. And I think there's this really well-known phrase within school librarianship, which is it's it's about the right book for the right reader at the right time. And I always add on to the end of that in the right format. Because actually, if they need it as an ebook, or they want it as an ebook, or if they want it as a graphic novel, or if they, you know, large print, whatever Braille, whatever that kid needs to get them to read that book, I think that's the thing that makes them become a reader. Um, so there's the kind of that accessibility issue, but at the same time, we know that there there is research that points to the fact that you retain less information when you read on a screen and so I think there is a almost a what's the purpose of this reading is it reading for pleasure in which case maybe retaining it isn't the most vital thing in the world is it reading it in order to be able to recall it when you take your GCSEs in which case yeah maybe there's a but I also don't know how much of that is is due to kind of generational differences. Um, But I think, you know, there is a a kind of an attention deficit whenever you're in front of a screen. Um, So kind of building that into the nuance of actually how do we do reading in a school and make sure it's accessible and useful. Um, It's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. I think what I find really interesting is that even within the schools that have really invested in ebooks, they don't seem to have the same traction. And quite often, library staff are getting feedback from pupils going, No, I don't want a, an ebook. I want a, a proper book in inverted commas. Um, so, I think, yeah, I'd really love to be able to do some more research into that to kind of dig around in why that is. Is it because it's a kind of intrusive thing where you've got school library software on your phone and therefore, you know, it feels a bit invasive or is it because they just don't like the experience and, you know, and maybe reading is something they want to do, reading in inverted commas, proper reading, um, is something they want to do with a book. But I think that also, you know, it builds into that nuance of what do we mean by reading? Because there's some really interesting research by the National Literacy Trust, which talks about all the benefits of reading from gaming. Um, And yet, if you ask those children if they were readers, they probably would say no. But they're, you know, they're reading and they're enjoying what they're doing. So That's really interesting that you cite that because um, I spoke to somebody from the National Literacy Trust and we're talking about the same topic really and and she said if I asked you what was the last thing you read you would be racking your brain to talk about the book that you've last picked up but actually you probably read directions on how to get to where we are or you read a menu or you read the newspaper or you and and we've we've become so fixated with reading is reading a book in a traditional format which is with you know dogged uh, you know, battered um, cover and and turned yeah. over pages. And actually, yeah. some people having six or seven books in one place when they go on holiday, for example, is so yeah. much easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
you know, when I on on the on the day when we first met, when we're talking about actually, you know, being a read a reading role model, which is in, so important for children. You've got to be really clear as a school as to what you mean by reading, because it needs to be an authentic description of reading. Because if you set reading up to be what we mean by being a reader is sitting down every night in an armchair with a novel, which quite often it is like information books don't often get a look in with a novel and you read for half an hour to four hours. There will be lots and lots of children for whom that is just not accessible. But that also doesn't reflect the reality of being an adult reader either. And I think we really need to make space for, you know, readers that drop in and drop out and, you know, reading manuals or emails and, you know, being honest about actually, you know, if it's report writing week, you're not going to be sat reading a novel. You're going to be reading a lot of reports and proofreading them. And that's the reading that you do that week that doesn't make it invalid. Um, and I think there needs to be, I th- I think, more kind of honesty and transparency over what a reader actually looks like. Um, and that's not to say that we should, you know, be OK with children not reading anything for a whole term. Obviously, that's not, you know, not yes. ideal. No. Um, but there are ways to kind of encourage it and entice it and make it appealing and if not appealing make it useful yeah and I think you know again it doesn't have to be progress or pleasure it can be can be both on a bit of a sliding scale completely and I think that whole um what do children read when do they read you know it's such a shame if children see it as a chore that oh I don't need to read because I'm not at school rather than wanting to grab a book and um my grandson is really into graphic novels and he's eight and he reads with prosody and enthusiasm and engagement and energy it's fantastic um and it gives him a bit of an outlet as well because he's the sort of child that does need to just go and have five minutes so it works on so many levels doesn't it yeah it really does and um yeah there's just so much you know, one of the core pieces of reading for pleasure and building a reading for pleasure community is is respecting the child's choice. And actually, it's one of the cornerstones for pretty much any relationship, I'd suggest. But if you're going to recommend books to children and expect them to respect your recommendations, you need to be respecting their choices as well. Um, and there are, you know, there are so many different skills that picked up from picture books or graphic novels or you know it's why would we not yeah why would we not want to encourage them to delve into that and and it has such an impact on all other learning as well I'm always interested when I, I talk to people in secondary and you know reading is the English department's domain which is just ridiculous when you think of the technical language and vocabulary and all of that stuff yeah um, it, it, it's his challenging and it's a shame that it's being pigeonholed into a this has to happen in school because they need to be able to read rather than why don't we just share the experience together and, and yeah. enjoy it and I think a lot of that is about you know how do we bring the community in how do we bring the parents in so it's not you know school versus parents in some situations it's about you know as a whole community this is something that we do together because um, you know because of these benefits um and I think it can be really difficult because 
you know, for many schools, they don't have, you know, if you don't have a librarian, you know, who's leading on that? Do they have the time to make that a priority? Like it can be very challenging, but it's actually, you know, it's incredibly important to break down some of the the long-standing stereotypes around reading, you know, yes. both gender and class come into it. And I think we've got to kind of make space in our schools to make it a much more kind of inclusive and um yeah less what's the word I'm looking for dictated to or yeah 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 yeah. you know pigeonholed yeah most people really you know rebel a little bit if they're told they must do something you know maybe that says more about me than anyone else (laughs) but um, you know I think it's making it you know using the the logic and the outreach and the relationships that we have to build something that really really works to change the children's lives because that is what reading does yes and I think people of of my generation you know who were teaching reading a long time ago we also need to be prepared to change a little bit I can remember um we have Myon which is a a platform with with digital books and when I first heard that all the books were narrated I was very sniffy about it saying well that's ridiculous um that means they won't read it themselves and they'll just sit there and they won't listen and actually I was completely wrong it's had such an impact on children Mm -hmm. having the confidence to read and having the confidence to listen because they read it back they can hear how it's spoken the whole sort of intonation and and, and prosody as we mentioned earlier is so important and if they haven't got a a role model or a a parent who has the time to sit with them it's fantastic Mm. yeah definitely and I think you know anything that gives them you know the it's about removing whatever barriers are in their way to make reading enjoyable and if that is a tool that is useful and and helps them do that then that's fantastic. I think one of the things that also is quite often overlooked in the in the reading sphere is actually the importance of storytelling. Yes. And I quite often see that as a first step because if you don't have a book, then you don't have to worry about the fact that you can't read or there might be words that you're struggling with or that you're reading in front of someone. You can just lose yourself in the story and actually Patrick Ryan did some amazing research into the impact of teaching boys how to how to tell stories and be a storyteller and you know it it changed their kind of school their academic academic outlook but it also impacted their family relationships and they ended up being the people who were called on at family gatherings because they could, they were the storyteller. So it gave them a kind of a power, you know, as stories do, they hold yes, immense power. Yes, definitely. We used to call those stories without a book when my children were little. Um, yeah. And they loved it, you know, can we have yeah. a story without a book? I was thinking, really? <laughs> well, what should I, I tell you about? You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Alison, yeah. it's been absolutely wonderful. It's been wonderful to hear you talk about things that I know about, but I haven't heard somebody in your position who's visiting schools, who's obviously keeping abreast of research and talking to different agencies. It's been really interesting. Is is there anything you haven't said that you would like to add in at the end before before we close? Um, that's, um, that's a big ask. I think there's just so much really the interesting new research coming out about both about the impact of of reading reading aloud and um 
and the kind of yeah reading for pleasure as I said there's kind of been quite a, a mountain I would suggest of research on that for quite a while um but in terms of kind of capital cultural capital and reading fluency there's there's new research coming out all the time so um yeah I'd say there's a lot there's so many organizations out there to support schools who want to build a reading culture and who want to really kind of um explore this area so um yeah there's there's support out there for people and if people wanted to get in touch with you we can we can put um some information in the blurb and then they can um go to your website and and, and get yeah. more information yeah absolutely yeah and um yeah I'm on LinkedIn and socials as is the SLA so yeah they can find us all over the place (laughs) thank you Alison that's really helpful and thank you so much for your passion and knowledge and and, uh, investment in in talking to us today thank you Margaret it's been great talking to you Thank you so much, Alison. It was so interesting to hear more about what the Schools Library Association and indeed School Library Services can offer to schools. If you aren't a member or haven't signed up, it's probably worth investigating again, having that insight, expertise and knowledge at your fingertips. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do review and share your experience with others on whatever platform that you listen to your podcasts. And remember, you can listen to previous podcasts at www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and please come back again. Thank you.